the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Today is Friday, May the 29th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today, on May 29, 1988, President Ronald Reagan and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev, they opened their historic summit in Moscow. That would lead to the complete collapse and dissolution of the Soviet Union. As it has so often been said, without firing a shot. Today in 1765, Patrick Henry denounced the Stamp Act before Virginia's House of Burgesses. This was kind of a tipping point for the colonists. They were fed up with the king and all of his demands, and increasingly so as things progressed. And this was one of those, if not the main tipping point. Patrick Henry really went off. He was a great orator. He said so many things, give me liberty, give me death, those kinds of things. Well, he took off on on that issue today in 1765 in Virginia, the House of Burgesses. But the, basically, the Stamp Act was, instead of levying a duty like on trade goods, the Stamp Act imposed a direct tax on the colonists. Specifically, the Act required that, starting in the fall of 1765, legal documents and printed materials must bear a stamp uh, act, or I mean a, a, ta- a stamp tax, and so the the stamp itself would be provided by the like the commission distributors who would collect the tax in exchange for the stamp to make what the colonists were doing um, legal. But it also gave access to what they were doing to the king's people, to his men. That was a big blow up. For sure. And as I said, one of the tipping points, if not the main tipping point, headed toward the the revolution. Today in 1917, 35th President of the United States, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, JFK, was born in Brookline, Massachusetts. Today in 1943, Norman Rockwell's portrait of Rosie the Riveter. You've probably seen that around. It's been around since... 1943, but it was around a lot. I remember as a kid, I used to see that all the time. I wasn't sure what that meant, but it was interesting to me. Rosie the Riveter. It appeared on the cover of Saturday Evening Post today in 1943. Today in 1953, Mount Everest was conquered by Edmund Hillary of New Zealand and Tenzing Norgay of Nepal. They became the first climbers to reach the summit. Now they, Now they say, and I've seen pictures of it, that 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 last climb on Mount Everest up to the summit is littered with cans of, you know, pop cans and all kinds of junk. And there's sometimes traffic jams of people running into each other, going up to the top and back. Seems amazing to me, but I guess that's where we are on the tallest peak in the world. Today, 1998, Republican elder statesman Barry Goldwater, he died in Paradise Valley, Arizona. That's a suburb of Phoenix. He was 89 years old. Five years ago today, President Barack Obama's administration formally removed Cuba from the U.S. terrorism list. 
And one year ago today, in his first public remarks on the Russian investigation that we were all sick of hearing about, at least conservatives were, Special Counsel Robert Mueller, he said charging President Trump with a crime is, quote, not an option because of federal rules. But he emphasized that the investigation did not exonerate the president. Well, ultimate exoneration is very hard to get. It's hard to prove your innocence. That's why our law system was set up on the idea that you're innocent until proven guilty. That, of course, was thrown out the window with a lot of other protocol and laws in America as they tried to get Trump for the last nearly four years now. Robert Mueller chose his words very carefully because he knew full well that there was nothing there to get Trump with. And now we all know, thanks to the continuing release of all of these so-called documents that don't prove anything, that he did anything. He didn't have anything to do with Russia other than just a normal discourse that all all officials or global businessmen, I mean, he has business interests all over the world. It, it's really a sad thing that our country has chosen, the left has chosen to go down that path, but they have. They have. Forbes policy uh, editor and their staff published an in-depth overview of where we are in our nation in regard to the COVID-19 pandemic. I keep hearing from the the big voices and the little voices on the left that the conservatives and especially the Christians are not interested in science and facts. They're driven by emotion. They are we are driven by emotion and superstition. I've heard these with my own ears, and you have too. We've seen it. We've read it. We've heard it. That we're driven by emotion. We're driven We're driven by superstition. We're driven by old faiths that Hillary Clinton herself, claiming to be a Christian, said we've got to get rid of. We've got to release those old codes. Those are her words, talking about in relation to, to abortion. So that's how the left and particularly the Christian, the evangelical Christian community, is viewed. So today I wrote an article that's based on, but it has a lot of other, several other sources involved in it, based on an in-depth study that Forbes, yeah, the business magazine Forbes did, on this, on this pandemic, on COVID-19, Wuhan virus, whatever. And they conclude that while Americans, I'm quoting them, are vigorously debating the merits of continuing to lock down the United States to prevent the spread of the COVID-19, they say, and I'm quoting, a single statistic may hold the key to resolving the debate. One simple thing. And we go in-depth on that. Now, I may not get back to this, or I certainly won't get back to it to the degree that I intended today. That's why we do this program live. Today is one of those days when I wish I had an hour instead of a half hour. I have a lot I'd like to talk about today that's happening as we speak in our world. So I'll try to get back to this, but if not, I would encourage you to go to faithandfreedom.us. We do not advertise on our website. We do not have any—there's no benefit accrued to us. If if that is a thought, probably to most of you it isn't. You don't care, but— there's nothing there except we want to inform and we want people to be informed and have information. 
And there's a lot of information in what I wrote today. It's about that subject. It's about the single item, the single key to resolving the debate, according to Forbes. And they did a whale of a job on what they did. So if we can get back to that, we'll talk about it. If not, go there, faithandfreedom.us. You can read it. You can look at the sources and one thing or another. Yesterday, yesterday, President Trump did what he promised he would do. He went ahead and issued an executive order that essentially, if it's allowed to stand, and he said, I will be challenged in court on this. He said, I know that I'll be sued and challenged and so on. But it's directed right at the main um, platforms, the main social media platforms. They have started to censor. I mentioned this yesterday because it had just happened. They've started to censor and to flag the president of the United States for the first time, Twitter. Twitter and Facebook and all of these, Instagram, all of these things have a carve-out, and the law allows, and it was set up so that they could flourish and give everybody you know, a platform to do what they do and have their friends and all that stuff that goes on on social uh, media. They probably couldn't have been birthed, at least in the way that they were, and they would have never gotten as big as they are and influential as they are had this carve-out, this law, this 230 had been put in place. But it was. And now they have become, they've kind of, it's you get a baby lion and he's so cute and he cuddly and you pet him and he's little and he grows up and eats you. Well, that's kind of what's happening or what they're trying to do with social media now. They have become so big that they believe, in my view, they're above the law. And they believe they're above just normal courtesies to the public. It's kind of like we don't need any of you because we have hundreds of millions or billions of you using our platform. That would be specifically Twitter, Google. Google's a little bit different. And um, Facebook. So in that context today, the whole world, I mean, it isn't just the United States. It's the whole world on there. And I know you know that. President Trump has a Twitter account. He has 80 million followers. 80 million. He uses it all the time. Sometimes I support the president, as you well know, but sometimes I think he uses it maybe a little too much. But he should have that right to do whatever he feels. He wants to do, just like you do and like I do, if I want to use. I don't use Twitter, but if I did. Twitter flagged the president yesterday. He reacted and said he was going to, or day before yesterday, he reacted and said he was going to put out this uh, executive order, which he did yesterday, and he's challenging them. And as I said, he will be challenged himself in court. This won't just happen. It'll be through uh, a lot of effort if this is put in place. So that'll be playing out over the next few days. But overnight, several things happened in our world and is happening as I speak. First of all, you may know that Minneapolis is on fire. The headlines coming out of there are chilling, to say the least. I mean, they are chaotic. Headlines... I just took a glance at headlines around the world today, not only in America, but elsewhere. 
fireworks shoot into the sky in celebration as Minneapolis Police Department, the third precinct, burns. I watched a little bit of that last night, didn't uh, watch as much as I probably should have or would like to have seen, but the riot in Minneapolis is over the black man who's was was who died as a result of apparently it was a result of it uh, there's i don't think that's being questioned the police officer putting his knee on the man's neck while the man was was uh had a handcuffs on and he was telling the police i can't breathe i can't breathe and and it it wasn't over a they didn't arrest him over a violent crime it was i think it was forgery um but it has just exploded in Minneapolis now in cities around the country and probably around the world by day's end and over the weekend. Seattle is gearing up. Portland is gearing up. Other cities, Los Angeles was uh, had some activities last night. All over the nation, this is happening. Twin Cities protests grow. We're going to start coming to the suburbs. These are headlines in major newspapers or, or websites. Twitter says president violated rules on violence. What? Twitter says president violated rules on violence. Let me tell you about that. But before I do, Joe Biden jumped on that headline and he said, I'm furious with the president and you should be too because he violated the rules on violence on Twitter. Joe Biden is looking for anything to get a little bit of attention and he needs it. Frankly, I mean, it's sad. But what happened was President Trump continued to tweet to 80 million people that follow him. So this morning, or late last night, actually, and it's continuing this morning, he put out a statement on Twitter regarding the chaos that's going on in Minneapolis. Twitter immediately flagged his tweet. And here's what I'm, I have a copy of what they said right across the screen, kind of across his face, actually. And it says, this tweet violated the Twitter rules about glorifying violence. However, Twitter has determined that it may be in the public's interest for the tweet to remain accessible. Learn more. That's the president of the United States. And Twitter has determined that Trump's comments about the President of the United States, duly elected President, that his comments about the the chaos that's going on, and it's massive, in Minneapolis, is glorified violence. However, Twitter says that maybe they will let the most powerful man in the world, whomever that would be, Barack Obama was that, Donald Trump is that, Ronald Reagan, the President of the United States is unarguably the most powerful person, the most powerful office in the world. I don't care what the liberals say who want to move to Guatemala. They need to move to Guatemala. I've spent a lot of time there. I love those people. I'll choose America. I'd rather live here. They're always talking about they're going to move. They're going to move. Well, if Trump's reelected, I'm going to move. Why don't they move? They just talk about it. They're not going to move. They know better. The presidency of the United States is the most powerful, the most influential office in the world humanly speaking. So they're saying that the words of the President of the United States is glorifying violence. That's why Trump took action. 
It isn't right, no matter who the president is. And if it was Obama, I would say the same thing, because I believe in the office. I believe in the nation. I love the country. We're not perfect, by for sure, and Obama spent eight years telling everybody all of our imperfections, but we are the best place in the world as far as I'm concerned. So Trump is going off about this Minneapolis riot, and Twitter slaps this across his face. Not coincidentally, I don't. I think it was purposefully, but they slap it across his face. What did he say? Well, he says, I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city, Minneapolis. He was talking about the looting, the, the rioting, the taking over the the third precinct of the police department and, and setting it on fire. I was watching that live last night. It's amazing what's going on. He said there's a total lack of leadership. Either the very weak, radical left mayor, Jacob Fry, get his act together and bring the city under control, or I'll send the National Guard and get the job done. Well, that's, other presidents have done that as well, but this is different because it's Trump. You talk about bias. They talk about racial bias. This is this is a different kind of a bias, but it's powerfully demonstrates just how aggressive the left tries to do anything to bring down a president that the citizens of the United States elected. Trump then sent a follow-up tweet. He said, these thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd. He's the black man who died as a result of of his altercation with the police. He said, I won't let this happen. Trump is standing up for the black guy. But these guys are going after him. He added that he had spoken to Governor Tim Waltz and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control. When the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. But Twitter took this remarkable step of hiding the president's second tweet, covering it with a public notice appearing on the platform, alleging that it violated Twitter rules about glorifying violence. They didn't even put up his tweet. They hid it. Well, you talk about freedom of speech, and these people go on and on and on about about the power of freedom of speech and all of this. These are incredible times that we're living in. I will tell you, I there's so much more of this I could go into detail, but I mean, I think you get the point, the drift, and if you haven't looked at the news this morning, it's unbelievable. And to top it off, CNN, who hate Trump, I mean, they say it on their day in and day out, I can click on CNN anytime, and almost be assured that they're going to be expressing hatred, not just disagreement, but hatred toward the President of the United States in some way over some issue. That's all they do. So they're out there covering, along with a lot of other news organizations, they're out there covering this thing live, and at 5 o'clock this morning, the police are going through there, the city's burning, the police station is on fire, the police left, they all came out and got in their cars and drove away. I mean, they surrendered. They, They couldn't stand against the mob. There were too many of them. I mean, without starting to kill a bunch of people, they clearly didn't want to do that. So (laughs) this morning at 5 o'clock, the police are back out there in the street. They can't go into their precinct. It's on fire. And they're out there trying to clear the street. 
and they come up to CNN and it's disputed what was said and how it was said, and that'll kind of play out today. But they basically told CNN to, to get back, that they were clearing the street. CNN apparently told them that they said, well, this is where you told us to stand, and we're going to stand here, something to that effect. So anyway... The police didn't miss a beat. They just arrested the CNN guys, the reporter, and it was a four-man crew, and they arrested them. Immediately, people started calling out that it was racist. Well, the director, the producer of the news that's out there is a white guy. So I don't know who's being racist against whom, but anyway, there were a couple of Hispanics, I think. But, I mean, it's all just kind of happening now. It ha- they were actually arrested at 5 o'clock this morning, Pacific time. And so there were calls made, and the governor called and all that, and the guys got released. Now CNN has a story to tell. They'll tell this story forever and ever. Uh, it shouldn't have happened. The press should never be um, arrested for reporting even CNN. But if anybody was going to be arrested, I'm glad I won't say that. But anyway, that's what happened. So everything just keeps fanning the violence. It keeps fanning and fanning the violence because there's an angry, out-of-control group of people in Minneapolis. And now you will see over this weekend, unfortunately, you'll see it in Seattle and Portland and Los Angeles and San Francisco. Maybe maybe they're so stoned out in San Francisco they don't even know what's going on. I don't know. But you'll see it in cities all across the country. And there will be burning and looting and I can say almost with assurance that one or more people will be killed over the weekend because of the anger, the hatred, and the violence. And yes, it was it, it was kind of birthed, this particular event was birthed by the tragic death. And I mean, it, it angers me to see that this man died in that those circumstances. It isn't right. It doesn't matter what the color of his skin is. It's wrong. But, boy, they seize every opportunity. And I know there's anger in it, particularly a certain part of the black community. But even black leaders are coming out today and they're saying, please don't do this. This is our country. This is our city. Please, this will not change anything. And it won't. It'll just make it worse. But when anger takes control, you don't use wisdom. You don't use Good thinking. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, chapter Second Corinthians, chapter four, verse eight. He said, "We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair." What he was saying is that there's a lot going on. There was a lot. There was a lot of anger toward Paul. We all know that if we've read the New Testament. He was hated in a lot of places because he was brilliant. He was a genius, well-spoken. Some of the things that Paul has written, particularly in the book of Romans, is studied today not as being authentic or biblical or spiritual, but just as literature. It's studied today in some law classes. He was brilliant. And he really created chaos where he went and preached the gospel because he was so effective. So, Here's this man whom God used to write a good part of the New Testament. He's saying we're troubled on every side, yet we're not distressed. We're perplexed, 
but not in despair. How does that work? How do we see all this going on? How did he see all that going on? People trying to kill him. People throwing him in jail. He was in jail all the time. Not because he had done anything wrong, because he was preaching the gospel, and they had determined under their laws that that was wrong. So he spent a lot of time in jail. Not because he was a criminal, but because he was a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Yet he looked at all of this persecution and all of the chaos in his life and in his sphere. He said, man, we're troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. As we view the events of the world today, as it's going to come down today, and it's not going to be pretty over the weekend, I can just tell you. I mean, it's coming. It's underway. But we must not become distressed or perplexed or in despair. I hear Christians say often, say, man, I just get depressed with all this that's going on. I understand that. It is depressing. But we don't have to allow ourselves to get caged up in, in distress or become perplexed. Why is this happening? What are we going to do? Or despair. Man, I'm just depressed. I just can't take this. Sure you can take it. Because we're not looking at what's going on in our world in our own strength. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, verse 34, Give me understanding, and I will keep thy law. I shall observe it with my whole heart. So the way that we deal with distress and being perplexed and despair, first and foremost, is seeking the Lord to give us understanding. And when we look at the world and we realize that these people are being driven primarily by hatred, which is the work of Satan himself, out of control, they're uninformed in many cases, They've got black leaders, some of them under the name of speaking for God as a reverend, like Sharpton and some of the others. They have those people feeding their anger to advance a far-left political agenda. And they have, as I said, they're not informed. And all of this going on, they, they, have, to, they have to deal with their emotions, and they don't know how. But we look at all of this, and we look at it through an understanding of God's word, God's law. And we just observe it with our whole heart and we continue. And finally, finally, let me share this with you. I will not get to the other matter on the COVID-19. Be sure to read that, okay? Faithandfreedom.us. Second Timothy, the last letter that Paul would write before he would give his life for Christ as a martyr. He said this, Consider what I say, and the Lord give you understanding in all things. That's the key. God will help you to understand as you seek him. Stay in his word. Trust the Lord. Look at the world. Pray for the world. Pray for God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And just trust the Lord, because that's where we are today. Human understanding will fail. God's understanding will give you peace that passes all understanding. Thanks for being with me today. Always a pleasure, a privilege. Again, wish we had an hour today, but we don't. We'll continue this on Monday, but thank you for your support. Our address is Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 
98009, Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. These are, as I said, very volatile times, and we need your support. So thank you so much.